It is wonderful to see you here today. It's great to be with you as we get ready to uh, celebrate Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to it. For, for my family, uh, Thanksgiving is our Christmas because we're all involved in, in some sort of ministry, and so we really um, use that time uh, to get together as an extended family, and, uh, and, and so uh, this year we have one more um, that we didn't have last year, um, but I would ask you to pray for my dad's wife, Judy. Um, she fell down some steps um, earlier uh, about, a, about a week ago and um, had broke her arm pretty severely and just asked that you would uh, pray for my dad and his wife, Judy. And um, so we're looking forward to healing in her body. Um, so they're going to actually miss out on our gathering this year. So it's going to be a little bit different. So. But we are finishing up our series called Why Me? And I'm excited about this today. Um, how many of you, uh, you, 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 you just, man, you were so excited for fall. Were you excited for fall? Were you? Sayonara. Say goodbye to fall. Okay. It, it was like the, the, the rainy monsoon season and it was gone just like that. And, and now winter's here and we're just, we're stuck. Okay. And, um, but last, a week ago Saturday, it's funny, <laughs> the last two Saturdays we woke up with snow. Um, but a week ago Saturday, I was out in the driveway, and, and for those of you that don't know, I'm a bit of a, of a driveway freak, okay? I'm, I'm just going to be honest, I will admit it to you, I, I am a little anal about my, the condition of my driveway, Okay? If I had that outdoor wood heat thing, you know, that they do, I would run pipes under the driveway to melt the snow all winter. I would, I would cut wood. I would go out in freezing cold just to, to put wood in that thing to keep that driveway clear. Um, but we were shoveling, and in my mind, as, as I was shoveling, I, I went back, um, not quite a year, but I went back to July 25th, or excuse me, January 25th, of, of this year, and, I, and I, I thought to myself, what if on January 25th, instead of being where I was, I was in my driveway shoveling with, with my sons, shoveling away, working on clearing that driveway. What would have happened to me had I been there instead of where I was? And the answer is that I would have died. There's no other answer. Because Avery, who, who knew CPR wasn't there, the AED wasn't there at the end of the driveway, I, I would not have made it. And in that process, and I've shared this with you, whether personally or, or corporately, there are times, and it's very natural to say, God, I don't understand why, I don't understand why these things happen. Why? And there I was, you know, in my driveway a week ago Saturday. I'm shoveling, and, and I can shovel for all I'm worth. And I'm not afraid. Five months after my cardiac incident, my brother-in-law, Kevin, my wife's twin sister's husband, 
He was driving through Idaho. He, his job was to, to, to pick up large machinery in the Twin Cities and deliver it all over the country. And he was in Idaho, and I didn't know this, but his mother had installed a tracking device on his phone so that she could keep track of him. She's retired and nothing better to do, and, and keep track of her, her son wherever he goes. And so she noticed that his tracking device had stopped and not moved. He was out in the middle of nowhere for quite a while, and so she called his number. And the phone picked up. You know how when you're, you're nervous and it seems like it's forever? Someone picked up the phone, but it wasn't Kevin. It was actually an officer who was there on the scene who picked up the phone and told her, I'm sorry, but it appears that Kevin has had, had a heart attack and died here on the side of the road. My wife has said, God, Why? Why did my twin sister lose her husband and I didn't lose mine? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you? And, and we can ask why me on both sides of the issue. We ask it coming or going, right? Why me? God, why does this happen? The harsh reality is that we hear a lot of different answers thrown around, okay, when we, we're asking why, and why, God, why me, and we ask, and we, you know, we, we don't say it necessarily to ourselves. Sometimes we say it out loud, and people answer us, okay? Today, I want to look at some of the answers that they'll give to us, and then what we need to really determine in our own mind about those answers that they give us, all right? Answer number one, when we, when we say, why God, and someone hears us, and here's what they say, there must not be a God. On Saturday, October 27th, this year, just after 10 a.m., a man walked into the Tree of Life synagogue in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he began shooting indiscriminately and he killed 11 before he was killed or killed himself. November 2017, a gunman entered a church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, killing 26. In 2015, Charleston, South Carolina, nine were killed in a church. I want to juxtapose those things, okay? Next to something that happened in 2007 in Colorado Springs in a church called New Life. And in that church, there was a, a security personnel staff member who actually was a police officer in their day job. And they had just come off, it was a woman, just came off a three-day fast. And that morning as she got ready for church and got ready to get there to serve as part of the security team, she felt God speak to her heart that she was going to be used in a mighty way that day. Earlier that day, a young man had stopped about 90 minutes away at a 
youth with a mission center and killed two people, then drove to Colorado Springs, walked into the church. Fortunately, most everyone was gone, killed two people before he encountered this off-duty police officer coming off a three-day fast, and she was there to stop him from killing anyone else. How about the fires in California? It's changing so fast that as you write a message, you have to keep updating the death toll. The last death toll that I heard was at least 71. They're, they're saying that a thousand people are missing and unaccounted for, and they, they don't know if they're dead or, or alive. We just had Hurricane Michael earlier this fall. 36 people in Florida were killed. Each and every one of those people who's been affected is undoubtedly asking, they might be asking the universe, maybe they, they, they realize they're asking God, but why me? God, why? Why is this happening? They're looking for answers to their questions, hoping to soothe their pain and their suffering. But the, the answer to the question, which is the, that answer being there is no God, that is, is based on an idea that if, if there was a God, surely he would not allow these terrible things to happen in our world that are happening. Each of these events in our history, it's, they're absolutely tragic and, and the reason that they're tragic is this. We place value on those lives. They're important. If there is no God, there is no value on human life. And these events of suffering are absolutely meaningless unless they touch my life or the lives of those that I love that are around me. Are you with me? Timothy Keller quotes Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher, from a letter written to a friend in 1883 when the volcano that was on Krakatoa in Indonesia erupted. And here's what Nietzsche said. Now, his facts were wrong, but he wrote this. 200,000 wiped out at a stroke. How magnificent. Now, there was... In actuality, there are 36,000 that were killed in that event. But Nietzsche's response, how magnificent. You see, he believed that if, if there was no God, that the value of life is arbitrary. Denying the existence of God doesn't help us to better understand or to cope with suffering. It actually makes it more difficult. And someone who says, hey, there must not be a God because of the suffering. It's not making it easier. It makes it more difficult on us. And we realize that there is a God because there's value on life. Psalm 53 and verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. James tells us that even the demons believe in God. We know that there is a God. So let me ask you this. Why is there such an outpouring of grief and pain and even rage when tragedy strikes? When the worst kinds of suffering are experienced, it's because God has placed an incredibly high value 
on human life. And even in the midst of that suffering, even in the midst of that tragedy, God is present. His word says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. His word says, I am with you always. God has placed an incredible value on your life, and that value does not change in the midst of your suffering. So when someone says that your suffering proves that there is no God, tell them, oh no, my friend, my suffering actually proves that there is a God and that that God loves me. Amen? Today, I want you to be encouraged. If you're going through suffering in your life, whether you are here at Silver Creek today in the sanctuary or whether you're out in the hub or whether you're watching this online, if you are going through a time of suffering, my friend, that suffering does not mean that God is not real or that he's not around. It means he loves you and he's with you. Answer number two, it's just too big for God. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the nation of Aram was at war with Israel during Elisha's ministry. The king of Aram thought that, that he had a mole in his government because every time he would move his troops to this place in order to set an ambush for Israel, Israel's king would move in a place and in a way that he avoided those ambushes and those attacks. And, and if it happens once or maybe twice, okay, I get it. But when it's happening time after time, all of a sudden the king thinks, I, I got a mole in my government. Somebody is working for the king of Israel. And all of, of his officials got together. They said, king, it's not us. Elisha tells the king of Israel everything that you say in your bedroom. And that's why we can't, we can't catch him. And so the king of Aram said, well, I've got a really good solution for you. Go capture Elisha. Go get him and we'll take care of him. And so he sent what the Bible says is a, a strong force of soldiers and chariots and horses. And they surround the city of Dothan where Elisha was. And they did it during the night, so no one knew. And in the morning, Elisha's servant gets up, and I imagine he does what a servant's going to do. He begins to prepare for the day, and he looks up, and he sees all through the hills, he sees the enemy on their chariots and their horses. And he goes back inside, and he says to his master, Elisha, Elisha, there's... There's, there's a big group of, of soldiers out here, and we are toast. There's no way that we can escape. And you would think that the prophet would have been shaken a little bit, but he wasn't. And he said to his servant, he said, listen, I want to tell you this, that there are more who are with us than there are them. And he prayed for his servant and he said, God, I want you to open his eyes so that he can see what really is out there. His servant goes back out again. And the Bible says that he saw a massive army from heaven in chariots of fire. 
This morning, what I desire for you is that you will see that there are more that are for you than are against you, and that the armies of heaven in chariots of fire are drawn up on your behalf and your defense. I love the story goes on and The Arameans come up to the house and approach. And Elisha rather goes out and speaks to them. And he calls down blindness on them. And all of them go blind. And Elisha politely says to the the leader of the army of the the Arameans, he says, you know what? You're not in the town that you want to be. Let me lead you to the right town. They're all blind. He leads them actually to the city where the king of Israel and his troops are and he delivers them over to the opposing king. God can do anything. Let me assure you when you're going through times of suffering in your life of two things. Number one, first is that God is working on your behalf. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Notice that Paul says, in all things. That means that there is not a single situation or a single moment in time in your life where God has not been actively working for your benefit. Because of your suffering, you may not be able to see it, but I assure you that it is totally true. Number two, nothing is too hard for him to handle. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26, Jesus said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Do not underestimate God's power and ability. Nothing is too difficult for him. Cancer is not too big for him. Divorce is not too hard for him. Bankruptcy is nothing to him. Learning disabilities do not scare him. The loss of your job does not intimidate him. Our God is able to handle anything and he is working on your behalf right now. You may feel that the enemy has surrounded you and that there is no way out. And I pray for you what Elisha prayed over his servant. Lord, open their eyes that they might be able to see. That literally the hills are covered with the armies of God. Chariots of fire surrounding us. Answer number three, God plays favorites. As a parent, I think that most of us understand that it's, it's not healthy to have a favorite. When I was um, a young man and, and was, I, I might have even been married at the time, we were at, a, 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 at my in-law's house and my mother-in-law, um, I can say this because she's no longer with us, um, but she's, she admitted that my wife's twin sister was her, had been her favorite, you know, as the girls grew up. And, and that kind of ticked me off a little bit, um, or a lot, as it, the case may have been. 
But it, I don't think it's healthy for us to, to do that. But when you're going through a time of suffering, you might be tempted to listen to other people that say that, that just like, uh, like some, God likes some people rather than others. He, he likes one person over another, and that's what this is all about. That God helps some people, and he doesn't help others, and he helps those that he likes. Did you realize that, that, that when I talked about Job several weeks ago, that's exactly what his friends said to him. They said, Job, the reason that you are going through all of this suffering, and the reason that we are not, is because God likes us better than you, because there's no sin in our lives. I've had people in the church come and... Tell me, pastor in my life, I've, I've had well-meaning believers come up to me and ask me, is there some sin in your life because of what you're suffering? Friends, God does not play favorites. Remember when Jesus' disciples happened upon the man born blind and they said, Jesus, who sinned this man or his parents? Found in John chapter nine, Jesus said neither one. God just wants the glory from it. So just because your suffering is not being alleviated in the manner and the time that you desire does not mean that God has a favorite and that it's not you. The psalmist wrote, the Lord is good to all. That means even those who are evil. Did you realize that? The Bible says that the sun shines and the rain falls on the righteous as well as on those who are evil. There are blessings that are upon evil people. And yet we might think that God is not responding to us because he has a favorite and that it's not us. Romans 2 and verse 11, the, the Apostle Paul says, For God does not show favoritism. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Literally the reason that I'm standing here at all, and it's not because of my physical heart, it's because God is compassionate, and when I first sinned, he didn't destroy me. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God who loves us and who works on our behalf. So especially to my friends who find themselves in tremendous suffering, I want you to know today that God loves you and he's aware of every detail of your suffering. And do not think for a moment that you are somehow a second-class citizen of heaven because you are special to him. Number four, this one's a good one. Just deal with it. Just deal with it. You, you can't figure it out. Just, just deal with it. Paul assures us in 1 Corinthians 13 that, that at this time, at this time on the earth, in our lives, that we see through a glass darkly. When I think of that, you know what I think of? I think of... And this shows my age, okay? Because I grew up in the day where we drank pop out of bottles, okay? But I think of a, of a Mountain Dew bottle, a green Mountain Dew bottle. You can't see anything through that colored glass. That's what I think of. Paul said, now we see through a glass 
darkly, but then face to face. Genesis chapter 3, I I want you to understand, we don't have all the answers. I, I do not have the answers about the suffering that may be happening in your life or in the life of, of a loved one that you have. I cannot tell you why. I don't know why. But I know that Genesis chapter 3, we read that Eve was deceived, that Adam intentionally broke God's law. And we see all the results that happened uh, 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 because of that. But I want you to know that God did not create a world filled with evil and death as we see it today. Watching the news can depress the daylights out of you. God did not create that world. You see, God gave us, beginning with Adam, free will. Adam made a choice. The Bible says Eve was deceived. Adam chose to sin against God. You and I have a choice. At the point that Adam sinned, everything began to change. I would dare even say everything began to fall apart. His daily fellowship with God, his position in the garden, his work, his toil, his sweat, Eve's childbearing, everything began to change. Do you realize that out of all the religions in the world, that only one teaches that God came to earth? to be subjected himself to the suffering and death in order to take upon himself our sin, the punishment for our sin. Hinduism says that all suffering is deserved. In other words, you made your bed, now sleep in it. It's your fault. Every person is evil and those evil actions deserve the suffering that they get. We're ta- and, and we're talking here, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the, the big ones, okay? The big, the big religions here. I'm, I mean, we could follow it all through, but it'd be, we'd be here all day. How about Buddhism? Buddhism seeks the freedom from the cycle of reincarnation through self-perfection. That ain't gonna happen in my life. It's not gonna happen in your life either. Imagine how condemned and how terrible they feel realizing that the life they're living is somehow punishment for a previous life and that they can expect that if they don't live this one perfect that they're going to have to do it all over again only as a bug how about the new age the new age mysticism eastern mysticism all wrapped up into one big modern day religion says that you are divine you're not really suffering there's really no negativity in your life. There's nothing painful. It's just all an illusion. You just need to, to mentally get yourself over that and just determine that, that it's not really happening. How about Islam? Islam says that Allah God is the source of all good and all evil. How does that differentiate from the God of heaven and earth, the God who created heaven and earth. You see, there's no hope for suffering in any of these 
religions. Everything that happens to you in, in Islam is because it is Allah's will. There's no hope in these world religions. No hope for suffering. Only God, the God of heaven and earth, the God who created us out of the, 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 the dust of the earth has a plan to alleviate your suffering and mine, and that plan is his son, Jesus Christ. Think of it this way. Jesus, God the Son, literally squeezed himself into human form. It's not just like putting on a pair of pants that are a little snug after Thanksgiving, okay? It's a little tighter than that. But literally squeezes himself. You say, what do you mean? I'm, I'm telling you to get into the form of a human he had to take on he had to take on the form of someone who could suffer, someone who could die. Jesus put that on for you and I. He was limited by time and space. He was limited by death. Romans chapter 5 and verse 19, Paul says this, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, speaking of Adam, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. God did not abandon you. His son took upon himself our sins, the sins of the entire world. Why? It's part of God's plan to alleviate our suffering. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus reminds us, beginning in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Look at this. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. I got a big picture window in the front of my house. Throughout the summer, every few weeks, all of a sudden we hear thump. We go outside, there's a bird laying dead on the floor, on the ground. The Bible says that, that even that, God sees that. He's aware of that. Imagine the value that he places on us. That even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Thank you, Lord. So whatever suffering you might be dealing with today, God wants you to know that he sent his son Jesus to deal with our sin so that we would not be left alone. I close with this. When we have young children, you know, let's say you got a three-year-old and they ask for ice cream for supper every night. What do we tell them? Mostly we tell them no. Once in a while we might tell them yes. They don't understand. When you say no, they don't understand. That's us. You realize that? That's us with God. We, we don't understand. When, God, when, God, when we don't get what we think we want or need from God, we don't understand. I'm reminded this week through the power of social media because my memory does not go this far. But some precious friends of ours 
who live in Portland, Oregon. Their names are Phil and Cheryl. They were our heroes before we knew they were our heroes because they were in their early to mid-40s when their youngest came into their family. And now I look back and say, those guys are amazing. This week they would have celebrated their youngest's 20th birthday. His name was Douglas. He's a precious little boy. Loved trains. In fact, his dad even made a couple of train movies. His dad is a video producer. When he was seven, Douglas was struck by a neighbor's car, was killed. Every year on his birthday, his mom and dad post a picture. And Phil's post, he said, you know, I'm looking forward to eternity. Because he knows that in eternity he will be reunited with Douglas. The suffering that they have gone through has been as deep as any, I think, that I could imagine. They're looking forward to eternity. Paul said, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. I imagine that one day when we walk into the presence of Jesus, we're not going to have to say, God, why? We're going to know. The Bible says we will know even as we are known. I believe that it will just be in our ability to understand it. But until then, we're not going to have all the answers. But today, as you leave this place, what I want for you is I want you to be encouraged. Because I believe that God has a plan I believe that he's working that plan. We may not understand it. We may not be able to comprehend it like a three-year-old asking for ice cream for supper. But he understands it. And I want you today to leave this place being encouraged by the, the fact that God loves you so much. There's not another religion in the world that you could go to that could explain your suffering. God said, I sent my son Jesus because I know the suffering that you're going through. And he died for your sin so that we could be restored to fellowship again and so that I can be there to comfort you so that I can walk with you so that I can work my plan in your life. I'm going to invite you to stand with me all across this place, out in the hub as well. In just a moment, the worship team is going to lead us. But I just want to, I just want to give you the opportunity this morning I don't want you to leave this place with, with discouragement. I don't want you to leave this place with confusion. I don't want you to face those, those answers that the world is going to give you when you say, why me, Lord? 
I want you to be able to in turn answer them. Oh, you're not going to have all the answers. But you're going to be sure of one thing. That you are who God has said you are. That he loves you, that he has a plan for your life, and that one day it will all make sense. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those today, whatever it is that they're facing, that suffering, Lord, that that has been so great, that they will face it today and sense the encouragement from your word. They will sense encouragement from your Holy Spirit where maybe there has not seemed to be any. And so this morning, I pray that that presence of God will fall on you. I just want to open these altars as a place this morning to receive that encouragement, to receive from God what He wants to do this morning, to remind you that He's there, to remind you that He knows, to remind you that He has a plan, to remind you that that one day we'll understand.